Hey, Serial Spirit listeners, Cece here, the host of the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. We focus on cases based in my wonderful home state of Oklahoma. And since the term Sooner actually refers to the state's very first true crime, Cheaters in the Land Run, Oklahoma is definitely a crime state. Sooner State True Crime can be found in most podcast apps or visit our website, anchor.fm slash crime state. New episodes are released twice a month. Follow us on Twitter at Crime State for upcoming episodes and more. So come away with me and discover my crime state on the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. At 73 years old, it's happy whatever bird it is. Dwight McCarter has spent his entire life in these mountains. It may be a wren. Wrens do a lot of calling like that, you know. While the retired ranger can name every plant and creature, his real talent is tracking. My grandmother taught me to look for the white. She says, follow the white. It's where the child or the adult stepped on it, and it's real fresh. One of the top man trackers in the nation, McCarter has assisted in more than 100 searches in the Smokies, but it's the first person in his logbook that's never been found. Every Father's Day, the Martin family, the extended family, would go to Spence Field and camp. It was June 14th in the summer of 69 when six-year-old Dennis Martin, his brother and friends, planned a playful prank. They hatched the idea of going and scaring the family who were setting up on this hill. The boys split, Dennis heading one direction alone. The three boys scared the family and Dennis never showed up. What followed is believed to be the largest search in park history. The search area has expanded as the days stretch into a full week since the youngster was reported missing. They amassed a whole lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, the U.S. Army with big Chinook helicopters. Fresh out of the military himself, the young McCarter joined boots on the ground. Each day as the search expanded, he believes the chances of finding Dennis diminished. The second or the third day of the little boy missing, there were 1,400 people at Spence Field. That just does not work. It messed up all the tracks. If, if you're a tracker, that's the worst thing for you to do. Nature created its own complications. And then it come this terrible rain, pouring and pouring and pouring. Still, a family hiking near Cades Cove Loop Road may have heard him. They heard a little boy scream. The father knew what he saw this dirty man. He from more the sound of the little boy. He referred to him as disheveled, and the guy ran. The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening 
to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brendan Shea, and with me as always, quarantined in the same house, is the lovely, the beautiful. For far too long now, Annie Weebs, how are you, Shea Bay? Annie, it's scary times. Yeah, it as is we, scary As we times. record this right now, we just got official word that Ohio, my home state, where all my family is, they are at a stay at home. They're not allowed to leave the house under, unless it's dire emergency. Unless they have to get their medical marijuana. Oh yeah, they're allowed to that's do that. Still, that's still legal. You won't get arrested, FYI, Ohioans, if you go out to get your medical marijuana. However, the uh, runs to the store for Doritos are optional. So grab those while you're out on your first run. So this is, it's March 22nd, and we're really living in crazy times. I mean, we're all just kind of blown away at all the uh, sanctions being put into place because of the coronavirus. Wherever you are, I hope you're staying safe, staying healthy, and really doing what everyone's asking you to do. Just stay away from people. do you know how the coronavirus dies? Bleach and whiskey. Bleach and whiskey. That's how I'm killing it in my own body, guys, because I work in the healthcare field. You know, we kind of don't have an option about going to work. So, uh, you know, I've been wearing my N95 mask, wearing my gloves and uh, bleach and whiskey. Just don't combine the two. Don't drink the bleach. They actually had to put that on a post the other day. Don't drink bleach. You can, though, drink the whiskey. I saw that on a post that they did. They said, don't drink bleach. And it's like, I mean, but people are stupid. It's 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 finally to the point where stupidity may kill people, and it's sad to say. Just do what the what your government officials are asking you. You know, just stay indoors if you have to stay indoors. You don't have to go anywhere. You know, we know plenty of people who are sick, who just are old. Do common sense. Yeah, just wash, common your sense. wash your hands. That's wash the bottom line. Wash your hands. In healthcare, that's like the number one thing that we tell people, and it seems so simple, but that's how these viruses are spread. You know, the top ten ways. To spread a virus, Shay, do, 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 do. I'm shaking my little fingers at him right now. My 10 digits. Your diggers. My diggers. Your meat hooks. So, yeah, my hooks. Wash your hooks. 20 seconds. You know my dad used to call them when we what? were kids? Dick skinners. Gross. <laughs> it's what he called them. <laughs> meat hooks, diggers, or dick skinners. Antibacterial soap <laughs> or just any soap that you have and water for 20 seconds. If you don't want to count to 20, sing one verse of Old MacDonald. Yeah. Any animal of your choice. I, I've been telling people to do uh, the verse of uh, Country Roads. So I want to I want to give a little FYI to people. Um, thank you for the five star reviews that we were given during this time. You yeah, know, guys, if thank we you. can if we can offer some kind of enter- entertainment while you're sitting at home doing nothing, that's fantastic. Absolutely. I also wanted to tell people that we had a SoundCloud page set up before we started distributing everywhere. Everything didn't transfer over. I think from episode 11 on up, transferred over to our Audio Boom page. And you can stream all the episodes thus far all the way up to episode 11. But from 10 down, 
that's not it's not on our page. So go to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com and you can find episodes one through ten. I'm gonna be shutting that SoundCloud page down soon, so you might lose those. And if that's the case, then we'll end up uploading them to Audio Boom. But in the meantime, if you want to binge more serial spirits, episode one through ten, soundcloud.com, serial spirits the podcast. Weebs, what are we doing today? So today, you and our buddy Michael Shields, one of the unbelievers, did a snippet a couple of weeks back called The Missing 411. Oh yeah, The Missing 411. And basically, it's about people who go missing, are found murdered, or found still alive, but under really strange circumstances in national parks. So that one released, and we had some people message us and say, hey, Dig into this a little deeper. This is really strange. We want to hear more cases because you and Mike, because it was a snippet, kind of covered it really quickly in in a matter of like 30 minutes and touched on several different cases. But what I've got for you today are two really incredibly bizarre cases, both disappearances in national parks and both of children. So let's get into this missing 411. If you didn't hear me and Mike's uh, snippet that we did together. Go back and listen. It gives you a little backstory on what the missing 411 is, but we're, we're going to cover a couple of cases here on this missing 411, and they are weird, insane. Let's get into it. Every year, hundreds of people are reported missing in national parks and forests, many of them children, and most are eventually found, whether dead or alive, but a small percentage of the cases, some right here in Oregon, are never solved. The mystery those cases present has one man wondering if there's a common denominator behind the disappearances that have search and rescue crews continuing to scratch their heads. We turned around and here was this little toddler walking out of the fog with absolutely no clothes on at all. It's, it's trouble. Every month in almost every state, people go into the wilderness and don't come out. Stories like that are what fueled David Politis. Forever rifling newspaper archives and badgering federal agencies for public records, he's discovered more than 400 cases of people who wandered into the wilderness but never came back. There are so many missing kids in Oregon, it's ridiculous. Accounts of children, people, vanishing, seemingly swallowed up by the many endless forests across America or even later found in ways that defy logic. These were unusual things that don't make sense that happened to cluster together, cluster together in three to four, sometimes as many as 20, 30 people missing at one location. He's mapped out what appear to be more than 30 clusters of vanishings in forests and national parks coast to coast. Some of those clusters and cases right here in Oregon, all of them documented and described in his two books. According to Oregon State Police, there are 41 missing children in Oregon. And now also in the movie Missing 411, releasing in a couple of months. In a lot of these cases, search and rescue or the volunteers searching people have already gone over certain areas, not once, not twice, but even dozens of times. And then the child is found there maybe a year, maybe a few years later. The search coordinators themselves are baffled by it too the ones they don't think is criminal in nature. 
Once a cop, Politis got hooked on the inexplicable, intriguing, and mysterious missing persons cases only after a government employee knocked on the door of his hotel near Park Service Land and confided in him, sharing stories about people disappearing at national parks like Crater Lake and Yosemite. The ranger described to me, if you were standing straight up and you just had your shirt, or just had your pants on, and you melted directly into your pants, that's what it looked like to him. The pants were laying on the ground in a very neat pile. Just one of many accounts in his books that leave search crews wondering if they'll ever find closure. And after seven years of research, we found that they replicate themselves in these geographical clusters around the U.S., one of those clusters being Crater Lake. Ten years ago, Coin6 covered the search and rescue effort for eight-year-old Samuel Belke, who had a mild form of autism and feared loud noises and bright lights. So when Sammy darted away from his father near Cleetwood Cove at Crater Lake, the many searchers could not use the customary air horns and whistles to try and find him. Well, Sammy's family uh, has let us know that one of the things he likes to do is to curl up in small spaces. Any of these uh, spaces where you could uh, fit a small person are places that we'd want to be searching. Every year, millions of Americans and international travelers visit America's natural park systems. In 2019 alone, the National Parks and Recreation Service reported 327 million visits. The National Park Service manages nearly 400 sites that span more than 84 million acres. So it's no surprise that each year, people go missing in these national parks. Since the inception of the National Park Services in 1916, more than a thousand people have vanished in these vast lands. But how do people just disappear into thin air in areas that are heavily monitored by the park services? Should these disappearances be blamed on Mother Nature, murder, or something more supernatural? Stacy Aris was 14 years old when she disappeared from Yosemite National Park in July 1981. She and her father had embarked on a horseback riding trip with six other people earlier in the day and had stopped around 3 p.m. at the cabins at Sunrise High Sierra Camp, approximately one and a half miles from Sunrise Lake. The camp was comprised of nine cabins that would sleep 34 hikers. Upon arriving at their cabin, Stacy took a shower and changed clothes. After freshening up, Stacy told her dad she wanted to take a walk and asked if he would like to come with her. Her father declined, but another member of their group, 70-year-old Gerald Stewart, said he would walk with Stacy for a bit. Group members saw Stacy and Gerald embark on their walk together, pausing at a nearby boulder to take a picture. Stacy reportedly told Gerald she wanted to walk to the lake, and he began with her, but after a short time walking down the hill, the elderly man became tired and sat down as Stacy proceeded down the hill alone. This account was corroborated by other members of the group who saw Gerald sit and Stacy continue. Gerald stated that he saw Stacy walk into the tree line in the distance and disappear. This was the last time Stacy Aris was seen. Gerald waited in the same spot for some time, expecting Stacy to come back after she had taken pictures. When she didn't reappear, Gerald went back to the camp and gathered a small group to go look for her. They searched on their own for only a short time when they decided to alert the park search and rescue team. A search team of more than 100 people, canine units, and three helicopters searched for more than 10 days, concentrating on a 3-5 to five mile radius around the lake. Helicopters spent more than 40 hours in the air, circling the area but to no avail. 
Stacy Aris was gone. The only item found of Stacy's during the search was the lens cap to her camera, found just inside the tree line where Gerald Stewart reportedly last saw her. So what happened to Stacy Aris? Many theories have developed over the years. The first theory is that Stacy walked away from the camp and got lost. It was a mile and a half walk to the lake, but the theory that she would have walked that far alone is called into question because of Stacy's shoes. I've read two varying reports about the shoes that Stacy was wearing at the time she left the camp. Stacy's dad, George, says the last conversation they had was about the shoes she was wearing. He said that as she got ready to leave the camp, she was wearing sandals and he advised her to change into her hiking boots. I read in one account that when she left the camp, she was wearing hiking boots. Also, the official National Park Service missing person report states that she was wearing hiking boots when she left the camp. But in another article, I read that Stacy actually left camp wearing her sandals. It would have been difficult to traverse the trail to the lake wearing flip-flops. So based on this information, it's hard to determine how far Stacy could have comfortably walked before turning back to camp. Theory number two is that Stacy could have been attacked by an animal. Yosemite National Park is home to the American black bear, coyotes, and bobcats. But you would think if Stacy had been attacked by an animal, there would have been evidence left behind. Blood, torn clothing, her camera or binoculars, which were the only two belongings she carried with her from the camp. None of these were ever found. The third theory is that Stacy Aris was abducted shortly after she disappeared into the forest alone. Gerald Stewart stated that shortly after the group began searching for Stacy, a group of hikers emerged from the same trail Stacy disappeared on. He asked if they had seen a girl walking alone, but they all denied seeing Stacy. Park officials searched through camping permits to try to find other people who might have been in the area at the time of Stacy's disappearance, but no useful information surfaced from any of their investigations. A fourth theory is that Stacy Aris, being a rebellious teenager, ran away from the camp. Stacy's dad told officials that Stacy had been having trouble at school and complained during the trip of missing her boyfriend. The closest road to their camp was Tioga Road, which, by park maps, looks to be about 10 miles from their campsite, the trailhead connecting with the road at another body of water, Tanea Lake. Did Stacy somehow make her way to the road and hitch a ride with another camper? It's been nearly 39 years since Stacy Aris disappeared in Yosemite. No clues, no witnesses, no answers. Today, Stacy would be 53 years old. At the time of her disappearance, Stacy was 5 foot 5 and 120 pounds with medium-length blonde hair. She was last seen wearing an off-white pullover windbreaker, an all-white jersey blouse with shorts, and gray hiking boots, size 8.5 or 9. She was also wearing a gold double-wrap ankle bracelet and had metal braces on her teeth. So here's another case of a missing child in a national park, and they were never found. If you listen to the snippet that Mike and I did, there's a whole list of similarities that they find in all these cases. Okay, and... One of them is that they find like kids will go missing and they'll find them, say, like they're climbing up a mountain or something like that or traveling these trails and they'll find them way above an elevation they should be at, especially if in this case, like she was wearing flip flops. How could they make it up that high? I guess she was never found, right? They never found her remains or anything. Nothing like that, was ever so. found from Stacy except for the lens cap from her camera. And there were different. I read so many articles about this and people said, Oh, well, if they found her lens cap, then there must have been some type of 
struggle. And that was something that she dropped. Okay, I used to do photography, freelance photography for years. And I'm sure that other photographers listening would agree with me saying, I don't know how many lens caps I've lost in my day. You go on a shoot, you stick them in your pocket, they get into backpacks and you just, you lose them. Not and only so, that, it's a kid with a camera walking yeah. down and they could have tripped on the, the thing, dropped the camera, camera could have rolled, cap falls yeah, off. That's just what I mean, it. happens. So her remains were never found. Her camera and binoculars were never found. Stacy Aris literally walked down the hill part of the way with this elderly man walks into the forest and nobody ever sees her again. The most plausible theory is that, yes, she was abducted or she got lost in the woods and an animal found her. I mean, you're a kid traveling in the woods and if you don't have the experience of a hiker and you know, you know, the directions, I'm 39 years old and I still walk into a building and I was a boy scout and I've done a lot of camping or whatever, but I still can't look at a wall in a building and be like, Oh, that's North, that's South, that's East, that's West. I still don't know where I'm going sometimes with that stuff. And that can easily happen when you get turned around in the woods. I mean, me and Taylor going raccoon hunting at night, we have to make sure we know where we're headed so we can remember how to get back to the truck. I mean, you can get turned around very easily and there you go. You get lost in the woods and you starve to death or an animal attacks you. I mean, yeah, it's, it's plausible. But I know you probably want me to talk about what paranormally could have happened. I mean, there's 50 We've million. got one. Let me tell you this other story, and then we'll go into the weird paranormal 411 stuff. How about that? That's perfect. Another more recent but equally disturbing child disappearance in a national park occurred in 2006. On October 14th of that year, eight-year-old Samuel Bokel went missing in Oregon's Crater Lake National Park. The details of Samuel's disappearance are even more confounding. The last reported sighting of Sam came from his father, Kenneth. They were vacationing at a cabin near Diamond Lake. Kenneth states that around 4 p.m. that day, the two stopped at the Cleetwood Cove area of Crater Lake and began playing tag. Kenneth said that Sam had spotted something yellow on the hillside and ran towards it, saying that he thought he had found gold. As darkness began to fall, Kenneth yelled at Sam to come down from the hillside, but Sam refused. Sam had a mild form of autism and occasionally displayed a stubborn temperament. Kenneth stated that he began up the hill, Sam staying about 50 feet ahead of him. Sam reached the top of the hill, went over the other side of the hill, and disappeared. Kenneth stated this was the last time he ever saw Sam. The boy literally reached the top of the hill and vanished. Kenneth searched for him for a bit on his own, but with darkness approaching, realized the seriousness of the matter and flagged down a passing car for help. Soon, a search party of more than 200 people had gathered and began searching a six-mile radius. The search lasted for more than a week, but with the compiling snowfall and frigid temperatures, it became apparent that if Sam was still out there, he would not survive long on his own. Also hindering the search was the fact that, due to Sam's autism, searchers could not call out for him or use loud horns, as the noises scared him and searchers feared that he would run deeper into the forest. One report stated that, instead, searchers played recordings of Sam's mom calling for him as they searched the woods, hoping the boy would emerge if he was frightened. Sadly, this never happened. To this day, no sign of Sam has ever been found in Crater Lake National Park. On November 25, 2006, only a little more than a month after Sam's disappearance, a funeral service was held for him in his hometown of Portland. Kirsten Becker, Sam's mom, 
made the following statement. The search and rescue efforts coordinated by the Western Regional National Park Service were extraordinary. We commend the men and women who risked their lives to find Sam. You are our eyes and our feet in the wilderness. Thank you for your bravery and determination. Blessings on each and every one of you. Nature has blanketed the ground where we believe Sam perished. Until the world awakens next summer at 6,500 feet, all we can do is wait. We want to bring Sam home. So that's a that's got to be really hard to really to be able to search for somebody like that, especially like you said, they that he was autistic and that he was scared of loud noises. So no matter what they did, even yelling, even strangers yelling probably sent him further right. into the woods if that's what happened, if he got lost. But that seems to be one of the traits, too, in these missing 411 cases is that it's usually a person that has some disability. And if you listen to the snippet, I kind of, a theory that I had about that is maybe, I mean, you see that sometimes with like ghost hunting in the spiritual realm of, you know, ghosts talking to people is that they talk to younger kids or people who seem to have some kind of mental deficiency or whatever, like they're more tapped into something spiritual. So maybe that's why it affects them in a different way than it would affect us. And maybe something was drawing him out there and it, it kidnapped him or he just went to a, I mean, I have 50 million theories on this, but we can get into that in a minute, I guess. But I mean, what are your thoughts? Uh, you researched this and, and you have any, you know, doubt that he just went missing or do you think there's some more foul play? At, I feel at terrible saying this because, you know, I guess as a parent, you would want to think that you would never leave that forest without having some type of closure. And I know that's not a plausible case, but what really got me was the article that I found where they talked about Sam's funeral. You know, it's just, it was like six weeks after he disappeared. And I'm thinking, if that were my child out there, six weeks seems like such a short amount of time to just say, we're never going to find him again. And so you start calling into question his dad's last recollection of him. They go out alone to this remote area that's a little dangerous. Crater Lake has some very steep peaks, and you can fall 700 to 1,000 feet, it said, down into Crater Lake and just basically disappear. So here's this 8-year-old autistic boy out there, and he's playing on the hillside alone, and you're telling me that he's only 50 feet in front of you. You race him to the top of the hill. He makes it before you, and you get there, and he's gone? He just disappears literally 50 feet in front of you and you can't find him. Okay, so they're alone. It's just Sam and it's his father. And the next people that he tells, you know, are, are this car that's passing by. He flags him at almost dark and says, I guess my son has disappeared. Can you help me look? And so as much as they look, they never find anything. They at one point in one of the aerial searches said that they saw tracks that they thought might have belonged to Sam in the snow. But once they got uh, searchers on the ground in the area looking, they were actually bear tracks. And so... Well, there you go. That I mean, that could be something, too. It could be. But think about... But you would think you'd see some kind of sign What of you would see yeah. after, a, you know, unless... You hate to say it like this, but unless a bear would find a human and drag it into a cave somewhere, which I guess is possible, too, but, I mean, but you would the, think there would still be blood or something left behind. There would have to be some type of something left behind that would lead, you know, a trail to wherever you would find a body. I don't know. You know, I'm not an animal expert or whatever, but I would think most of them bears would be hibernating at that point. 
You know what I mean? I don't True. know what bears are in that in that area, and I know some bears don't hibernate. They right. still walk around in the wintertime, but you would think that if it was bear tracks, I mean, they saw bear tracks, so obviously there was bears in the area, but it's just odd that you would take a kid that is autistic, for one, and play that kind of game, play tag with him in the right. snow in a dangerous... In a dangerous area. In a dangerous area with, with cliffs and you know, holes right. in the ground. I mean, you don't know what's around there if you're right. not familiar with the area and then and they disappear and you have no idea what happened. And like you said, it's just quickly gave up the search. I mean, 6,500 feet above sea level. I don't know what the elevation's like up there. Maybe the weather got too hard and they just kind of realized that, you know, if the weather is this bad and it's this cold, how can he survive well, that's, out in this? But he you wouldn't would still, have. You would still want to find their remains and bring right. them home. Right. He wouldn't have. But to to stop the search, it, not just to stop the search at six weeks, but to have a funeral at six weeks, to me, was something as a parent that I couldn't imagine doing, honestly. No, I, I, I don't think if that were my child in that situation that I could have a funeral at least until more time had passed or you had more a more definite answer about what happened to him, I guess. I don't I'd know. I'd be chomping at the bit to the weather breaks to be out there looking again. Even if I knew there was no chance that my child is still alive, I'd still I'd still have to know and I'd still have to want to bring them home. I didn't see any other articles talking about other searches. I'm not sure, but it just seems like he just vanished literally 50 feet in front of his father and was never seen again. To me, that's just so strange. I mean, do you honestly think, I mean, this is, you know, maybe it's bad to say, but do you think the dad had something to do with it? I don't know. You don't ever want to think that about a person. And that's just me speculating. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, I mean, you, we, they, they did that, that case in Tennessee or that case in Tennessee with that missing baby girl. And, you know, they issued an Amber Alert a month after she'd been right. reported missing. I mean, some parents are monsters and we see it all the time. The story of Casey Anthony, she was never found guilty, but come on. Right. There was enough evidence there to convict and you just never know. So Shay, I know that when you and Mike talked about the missing 411, you had other cases that you talked about and more paranormal theories about what could possibly happen to these people in these national parks. Well, they say that, you know, some of these cases, they would search these areas. And, and this is really phenomenal to me because, you know, when they, they do these searches, they set up grids, they ha it's organized, you know, it's not just a bunch of people randomly wandering through the woods. I mean, they have people who know where they're going, people who've you know, are familiar with the area, who've traveled these national parks for years, the park rangers and everything, they all get together, they put these searches together, have different coordinates, have different people searching this area, that area. And one of the things that we found in doing this research, especially Mike, and he said that they will search areas, right? Say they'll be walking along a, a, a trail, you know, it's a main trail, and they search the area three or four times, and on their way back, they find a body laying right in the middle of the trail, like it just appeared. Everyone's thinking, how could we have missed this? We walked by this spot four or five times. How did we miss this body laying here? And that's happened quite a few times, and they found remains of missing children and missing people who just appeared out of nowhere, almost like some weird wormhole opened up, and bam, the body was there. One of the other things that we talked about, uh, me and Mike, was that sometimes people will be found naked. And one of the claims is that that was a case that we talked about where a guy was talking to his wife and he said, oh, I feel like taking my clothes off. And that's one of the things too, is they take their clothes off. Why? There, there can be a scientific reason behind that. Do you remember when we talked about the diet law of pass incident? Yes. Where I, all those people were yeah. found. Okay. So that can be a sign of um, hypothermia 
that as the body begins to become cold. But not all these cases take place in the wintertime. No, but you got to think about some of these places get really cold at night, even in the desert where you would think it wouldn't get cold. You can get really cold really quickly. And think about it, too. If your body is already hot and you're sweating and then it immediately gets dark and you it turns cold, your blood vessels open up and you feel that rush of blood to the surface of your skin and you feel super hot. So a lot of times that's an actual scientific thing. They find people who have died of hypothermia, who are stark naked. and But there's also cases where people have gone missing for periods of time and uh, reappear and have no recollection of where they where they were, how long they've gone. And that's, that's usually a sign of alien abductions, experienced loss of time. And they will be driving somewhere and all of a sudden it's two hours later and they don't remember the last two hours. And that happens a lot too. There's where cases where people appear in an area thousands of miles away from where they started out and have no recollection of how they got there. If you dig deep in all these missing 411 cases, you will see that there's patterns. There's all these areas that are mapped by the guy, David Pilates, who is really the the four founder, I guess, of putting all this theory together. And it ties into all these strange places. There's around cave systems, there are national parks. And it's just weird how it's all tied together in that in these one areas and you know all these conspiracy theorists have all these ideas of things happening government cover-ups cults stealing people and it could be true or it could be as i always say portals interdimensional ufos who knows it's hard to say it's a strange phenomena and these are only a couple of the cases that we found that we wanted to share with you guys because they, i mean it, they're weird if you look at all of them they're they're weird there are so many of these missing persons cases online that it's it would take forever to cover all of them. Those were just two of the most, I think, confounding cases. Number one, because they're children. But number two, it, it just seems like they literally vanished into thin air. But if you guys want to research this any further on your own, you can go to nps.gov. That's the National Park Service System. And they have a page that's literally entitled Cold Cases. Do you have any information that could help investigators? And so there's a link on there for multiple missing persons in national parks. It tells you when they disappeared, what park they disappeared from, gives a description of each of these people. They also have a tip line. If you have information about any of these cases, you can call 888-653-0009. There's also an online tip form. So if you go to nps.gov, you can put a tip in their online form, um, completely anonymous, and um, help out with any of these missing cases that they have. If you're one of these people who have a family member who has gone missing and it seems like nothing's getting done and you want the story to be told, email us at serialspirits at aol.com. We'll look into the story and we'll we'll talk about it if we, if we can. And, you know, we want to help get some of these cases out there. So hit us up. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up, guys. Uh, if you have a promo, you know, we're, we're in this thing where we're doing promo swaps now. If you would like your podcast to be blasted out by Serial Spirits, give us a promo. 
SerialSpirits at AOL.com. We can do a promo swap. We got one. We'll send you. You send us. Bickety-bam. We love a promo swap, bickety-bam. Yeah, we, we do, <laughs> you know, and it's a great way to help other podcasters out. And we're, we're all about helping. You know, we're one big family. Here. We've met so many cool podcasters doing that. These online forums, especially on Twitter. And it seems like so many of, of you out there have shown us a lot of love lately. So thank you to all of our new followers on Twitter, on all of our social media. Thanks for blasting out Serial Spirits. We've had a lot of good info. But if there's anything that you would like to hear, please don't hesitate to reach out to us because we are always open for suggestions. Please, please, please. And hopefully things go as planned. And Mothman Festival this year, we're supposed to be doing a big podcasting event with some of our friends. Uh, We're doing it with Hillbilly Horror Stories. They're putting it on. They asked us to join. If things go as planned, we hope that it's, you know, it's still going to happen. Mothman is immune to the coronavirus. Maybe that's why West Virginia was the last place that Corona showed up because they were like, oh man, Mothman, let's leave West Virginia out of this. Could have been. Maybe that's why Mothman has been showing up in Chicago because of the coronavirus. I don't know. Maybe. So thank you guys for listening to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. We'll see you next time, guys. Until then, be aware and be safe. Thank you for listening to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. Find us weekly on all your podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you subscribe. Our theme song was written and produced by Annie Weibel for Serial Spirits, the podcast. Check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Serial Spirits. You can always find Serial Spirits on www.paranormalwarehouse.com. Check out all the amazing shows that Paranormal Warehouse has to offer. Also on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Guys, be aware and be safe. We'll see you next time.